Well, good morning. Um, certainly an honor to be with you again here with those of you in the room and, and those online. Uh, always grateful for an opportunity that God gives me to see one of my good friends, and we never have enough time, but also this great chance uh, to share the Word of God with you. Uh, it is an honor, and it is a privilege, and, and I hope that every time that we open these scriptures, we realize what an honor it is to have what God has given us. Um, Paul uh, is the author here of Philippians. If you would turn in your scriptures uh, to the book of Philippians, so Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, first chapter is, is what we will cover this morning. And if you start at the beginning, we do see that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, may we take these words you have given us to heart today. May they warm us and comfort us, challenge us, push us, uh, protect us. Uh, but most of all, guide us in this journey that you have called us to, that you have created us for. We want to give you all the glory and all the praise for everything that is interacted on this morning, we, we began with singing in praise to you. Now we want to break your word in praise to you. And going forth, we want to fellowship and then live our lives in praise to you. We cannot do that apart from your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, empower us, encourage us, challenge us, guide us to do just that in this very week and even in this interaction with your truths from your word. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. So we find Paul is the author of this letter, and he is writing to the Christians in the Roman colony of Caesarea Philippi. The gathering of believers at Philippi, which we might call a church, uh, was the first church that Paul actually founded in Europe. You can find that in Acts Chapter 16, if you look to the details there. This is also the very same Paul who was once Saul, persecutor of those uh, following the way. What the, the early Christians were called as those were followers of the way. And Saul was the man set by the Jews to go out and capture and go after these people, find out who they were, and destroy their lives. And now... The tables are turned. And he has been hunted down for following this blasphemer, Jesus. As he is awaiting his trial in Rome, he pens a letter of encouragement to the Philippian Christians explaining how his current circumstances still serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he has great joy when he remembers them and that he also considers their continuing efforts in their own hometown. Paul spoke of joy 
in remembrance of the Philippian Christians for the reasons that he stated. Because they were partnering with him in the gospel message outreach. That he recognized also that God was clearly at work in them and using them for his great kingdom purposes. And then we will see further what he means about this as well. But if we might start to interact on how this relates to me, how does this passage fit with my life? We might consider these three questions. What does God want from me? What does God have for me? So taking something, giving something, and am I living up to either of those? Or am I simply too satisfied with the status quo of my life? So sit on those, and we will come back to those ideas throughout our time together this morning. But continuing with Paul, and we find in verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Now, if we do get that, Verse 7 to come back up. Let that stay up there. Um, But we're going to look at 8 through 11 later. We're not going to look at that right now. But for a moment, with verse 7, verse 3 through 6, we need to recognize what we are doing here. We are reading Paul's mail. His letter to a specific audience who is the Philippian believers. We would call them again a church, but the Greek term ekklesia literally means a gathering of believers, and that's who Paul was writing this to. It's not a a physical building like here. You couldn't send mail to a building with an address. However, what Paul was hoping to do was when he writes this letter, that it gets sent out to all of the believers in that area. They would pass it from one to another and read and connect with Paul and what he was saying to them. And something amazing has happened. And that is something we absolutely should not miss. We are reading Paul's mail for a reason. God, the Holy Spirit, has preserved this letter for us and put it in his completed word so that we now can see it and we can read it and we can interact on it. And the question is why? Why would God want us to see this exchange of ideas and feelings, and instructions. Well, I believe it is to certainly teach us about who God is. To show us what others have endured in sharing the gospel message. And to show what we may also face in sharing the gospel message with our mouths, and with our lives, our social media, our family relationships, our work relationships, etc. I think it would even be proper for Paul's words to be granted to this audience and to our day as well. I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So back to Paul's original audience. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, 
that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, what, what does Paul mean? So they know what he's talking about with regard to his imprisonment, but we might not. Like, what, what is going on here? Well, if we go back to the words of Jesus that we would find in Luke 21, verses 10 to 13, then he said to them, his disciples, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. And what Jesus is talking about is those last days. Whenever those are and however long those will be, he does not say specifically, but he says this in verse 12. But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be the end of Christianity. What? Wait, I, I think I got that wrong. This will be the end of American freedom and liberty. That's not right either. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. This letter to the Philippians shows that this very scripture has come true for at least Paul. We also know from historical documents that the disciples were persecuted. Others will be persecuted very harshly in that first century. But specifically for Paul in this letter, this is the basis of what he is dealing with. What are, what are those circumstances that have led up to his imprisonment? Well, in his journeys, the believers knew that if Paul went to Jerusalem, it would not go well for him. They were afraid and tried to encourage him not to go. He went anyway because he believed that it was his path that God was sending him on. Acts chapters 21 through 25 We'll show that story well if you wanted to look at those later. Going through various trials and interactions with Jewish and Roman authorities there, instead of letting the Jews kill him, he appeals to a trial before Caesar, which he is granted because he is a Roman citizen. As best we know, Paul does not see freedom again. Why was Paul persecuted? Why was he delivered? Why was he brought before these Jewish and Roman leaders the way that Jesus already proclaimed would happen? Well, let's look at more words of Jesus to his disciples. And in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 25, we find the world, words of Jesus, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. 
But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you in this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. That exact world hated the disciples. It's power structures, Jewish power structures, Roman power structures. This passage is not just true for the disciples who were Jesus' original audience. Just 35 or so years after speaking these words, they're extended to Paul as well. And now, do we find people trusting in this? Or do we find people in our world rejecting this as any kind of authority for truth and life and goodness? What is Paul's response to being jailed? We saw that, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And then most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, as a reminder, Paul's situation though not ideal, from his audience's perspective, is not an occasion for disappointment, but for advancement of the gospel. Paul's audience, their desire, the Philippian church, what they wanted was they wanted Paul to be freed from jail. They actually saw when he was in town with them that he was unjustly imprisoned and then they found out he was a Roman citizen and all of a sudden the local leaders are trying to say, hey, I'm sorry about that, it's okay, are you, are you guys okay? So they knew that it could happen. They wanted it to happen. But Paul is trying to tell them this is not an opportunity for disappointment. Because the gap between reality and expectation is going to be filled with God's word and God's purposes. Non-believers know that Paul has been imprisoned for the purposes of his Lord, Jesus Christ. Back in a day when God's 
were more focused on generally. They didn't feel like they did so many things of their own strength. It was always these gods in the background that were doing amazing things for them. This Paul's God is something special to pay attention to. And then the brothers, they're more bold to speak the truths of God's word without trembling in fear. These are two massive points. They're made possible by Paul being in jail for the second time that the Philippians are aware of. Both will serve God's purposes. Interestingly enough, jailers in both situations coming to know God. The Philippian jailer was saved as well when Paul was there. Furthermore, Paul states that it's okay if this situation never changes. He's in prison now, and they're thinking, okay, but he's still got to get out. Yes, these great things are happening, but how much more could happen if Paul was on the outside and continuing to travel and spread the word of Jesus Christ? Paul says it's okay. If the Lord wants to just use it this way for his glory, that's what he wants. It's all worth it to Paul. Look at verses 19 through 23. Paul was rejoicing about in 18 about however these other guys that are out there saying things that the gospel is forth. He says, great, the gospel is still going forth, even though they were saying their basis was not the desire to follow Jesus. And then Paul says in verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed but that with full coverage, courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I, sh I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So what about us? This is a conversation, again, preserved by the Holy Spirit for his purposes in our lifetime today, tomorrow, and ongoing. We have these scriptures to learn from for centuries. We have had this. They are as necessary for me today as they were when Jesus first spoke them. The prophets first wrote them. The New Testament writers first wrote them. So after reading these, and understanding these all this time, what does God want from me? What does God have for me? Am I living up to either? Or am I too satisfied with simply just living the status quo? Now, what do I mean by being too satisfied? How does that fit with what Paul was going through and what he is conveying to the Philippian Christians well, none of us are imprisoned right now. None of us are living under Roman rule. And most of us, if we are honest, have had a pretty 
easy life. One of the uh, devotionals that I love to turn to, New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. He is a well-known author, but this is a devotional, a daily gospel devotional that he has written. And on August 22nd, he wrote the following words. That's Pastor Dwight's notes from last week. Don't be satisfied with anything less than all God's powerful grace is able to produce in you and through you. I know, it's my problem, and I suspect it's yours too. We're just too easily satisfied. It's not that we want too much from God. No, the reality is that often we are willing to settle for too little. We are content with a little bit of change, a little bit of growth, or a little bit of maturity. We settle for a little bit of biblical understanding and a little bit of theological knowledge. We say we love redemption and that we are thankful for God's grace, yet we become spiritually satisfied long before that grace has completed its work. If our parenting seems to be working, if our marriages are livable, if our jobs aren't terrible, if our finances aren't a disaster, and if we have nice houses, good churches, and good health, most of us are satisfied. But God is not satisfied. He knows that we will continue to need his transforming grace until sin is no more. We will continue to need his intervention until we have been completely formed into the likeness of Jesus. We will continue to need the forgiving, enabling, transforming power of his grace until every thought and desire of our hearts is pleasing in his sight. We will continue to need his deliverance and protection as long as we are still susceptible to the seductive voices of temptation that are all around us in this fallen world. Our Savior loves us enough to continue to be dissatisfied even in those moments when we are all too satisfied. He will not abandon the work of his hands. He will not turn from his grace. He will not forsake his saving zeal. He will not relent until his grace has done everything it can do in each and every one of his children. So you'll find yourself in situations you do not like. You'll find yourselves having to deal with things you didn't plan You'll find yourself dealing with trouble you never thought would enter your door. You'll, find, you'll face the unplanned, the unexpected, and the unwanted. And the reason you will is because your Lord will be using all of these hard and uncomfortable moments to wrench you out of satisfaction, to cause you to esteem his redemption, and to create heart and life change that will not be created any other way. Your Lord, prize open your hands, 
takes away your crutches and distractions. He exposes your weaknesses so that you will cry out for what he knows you need. But what you have been willing to live without. So be thankful for all that grace has done for you. But be dissatisfied. Don't quit before grace has completed its work. Cry out for more rescue, transformation, and deliverance. And be grateful that your Savior continues to work even in those moments when you don't value the work that you so desperately need. It is true, church, if we are honest. Far too often we seek the affirmation of the world and being satisfied. Or maybe I'm afraid of what might happen to me if I take a stand. And again, the words of Jesus. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I, Jesus, have chosen Matt Donaldson out of the world. Insert your own name here. Online, you can write it in that Jesus has chosen you out of the world. I want you, when I say this, I want you to say your own name. You can say it out loud. You can say it in your heart, whatever you want. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I, Jesus, have chosen out of the world. That is why the world hates you, will hate you, Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours as well. So how about us? It would be easy to say that the world is full of evil. What on earth could I even do? Well, God... Consequently, has not charged us, you and I, with fixing the world. That's not what he's asked us to do. God has charged me and you with recognizing the sin in my own life. And, and everyone recognizing the sin in our own lives. Seeking his forgiveness. Drawing upon his grace. And then moving forward regardless of the circumstances that are around us. Turn on the news for a few moments and realize the world does not care for Jesus and his teachings. And then hear the words of our Lord. The world hates you or will hate you. And what Jesus is talking about is that world that is driven by Satan. That world that is full focused on living for him. Not the entire world, every person here. But that world, and we're seeing society fall apart so quickly, that world hates us because that world hates him. Some will be persecutors of us. Others will obey our teaching. The entirety of the Christian walk will certainly not be persecution, but it is not likely to be absent of it in this day and age either especially with cancel culture. So if I live for Jesus the way that he intends me to, the world will soon discover that I am dissatisfied. 
That's a good word for us to write in there and to keep paying attention to this week. With their way of living. If I live for Jesus the way that he intends me to, the world will soon discover that I am dissatisfied with their way of living. And it will likely cost me something. There is no cost to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It is a gift that he has extended to us. It is absolutely free. However, there is a cost to follow him the way that he created me to do. And scripture bears that out. And life since then bears that out in the Christian witness of so many that have gone on to give their lives for Jesus. So this means that I will need to live for Jesus, not just read about him. The world's not going to know I'm dissatisfied if I simply read and stay at home and be quiet about it. Two things need to happen. I need to share it and either be persecuted or I need to share it and others learn from it and then they carry it forth and they are either persecuted or teach others that get it. And all of those may happen to each of us. I need to live as someone redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and walk in the victory that he offered in his resurrection from the dead. No longer should I be too satisfied with the world's distractions and drawn towards comfort rather than truth. Not saying that comfort is a sin and of itself, but when comfort is outside of truth, yes, it is a sin. A live is Christ, die is gain focus requires action, movement. If you will, hearken back to the days of Jewish slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, they were forced to make bricks and build structures. We have not even existed as a country for 250 years, and our history seems old. The world kind of laughs at us in that regard. 400 years. And finally, the Lord has raised up a deliverer, Moses. The Jewish people believed Jehovah would rescue them. And now it is here. But there are some leaders who are afraid. And they don't want Moses to make waves for them. In fact... They get more work after some of Moses' challenges to Pharaoh. See, I told you so. You were just going to make the comfort less, the things worse. We were satisfied. Now they're dissatisfied in the wrong direction. The Lord is asking them to follow his rescuer. And after the ten plagues, the Lord asked them to do something, to show that they wanted to go with him to the promised land. So at that very first Passover, in the passage found in the, the account of Exodus in our Bibles, belief did not save anyone, action did. So we find that every, every, every Hebrew family had some kind of belief about God, just like many American households know about God. But the Hebrews, they had to place the blood over the doorposts. They had to follow the instructions that were given to them 
for that first Passover, and then they had to be ready to move. They did so because they believed God was near and moving soon. They believed that he was bigger than the problem of their slavery, which had existed for 400 years. Their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, and going, had all known slavery in Egypt. It was the status quo. They believed that God had some sort of plan. After 400 years of captivity, the blood over their doorposts, however, did not save them. It marked them. The households that did not place the blood over the doorpost, Jewish households and Egyptian households, the firstborn child was killed. So not only were the Jews rescued in this moment, their firstborn children were saved as well. It marked them as believers in the plan of Jesus in this moment, not just knowers of who he was. Honestly, Jews always believed that they were in because they were Jews. It was their right. It was their prerogative. He was their God, and that was it. You just needed to be Jewish, and God was moving. It marked them the same way our repentance marks us, not as people without sin, but as a people whose sin has been removed by the Savior. Have I been too satisfied? Well, then confession and repentance are the action needed to get me back to living for Christ. There also may still be some sort of cost that is required for the gospel to go forth, which is certainly outside of my control the same way it was with Paul. Paul was too satisfied with Judaism when he was hunting down followers of the way before Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. When he's writing to the Philippians, Paul knew his past. And the Philippians would have known it as well. The Philippian Christians would have easily remembered how poorly Paul was treated in their town. And here he is writing favorably about them and what God is doing in spite of his current imprisonment. I must stand with Paul and emulate his actions no matter what is going on in my world. And like Paul, I must stand with Jesus. The author of Hebrews said it this way in Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Lay aside what sin is weighing us down. Action. Lay aside my sin. Action. 
Lay aside, sorry, whatever is weighing us down is first, action. Lay aside my sin, that is my result, action. Run, action. Run with endurance, continuous action. Looking to Jesus to lead me, action. As I run the race set before me by my Lord. And consider that as long as I do that for Jesus, effort will not be in vain, as Paul says. Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he, Jesus Christ, who began a good work in you, in me, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul Tripp suggested that our Redeemer is dissatisfied until his work is completed. And since we are his workmanship, we should also be dissatisfied until his work is completed. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should action, walk in them. Movement, effort for Jesus. Both Pauls, Paul Tripp and Paul writing to the Philippians are saying becoming a Christ follower is the beginning, not the culmination of my life. It's the beginning, not the end. And after the beginning, we need to focus regularly on Jesus. Knowing his word enough to walk in his pleasure, being dissatisfied with my life, only where he is dissatisfied with my life. There is plenty of focus on this world on dissatisfaction. And how to obtain more wealth and more peace and more luxury and more comfort. But the dissatisfaction that Christians should be concerned with is that of falling short of God's perfect will for our lives. And striving back towards that goal if we have gotten off of that path. With regard to any worldly dissatisfaction with us and our Jesus, the question I should be asking now is, do I expect God to move in my current situation? With whatever imposing challenges in front of me, that is my challenge to see how God moves. The last several years have given us plenty to be anxious about if we focus on the tumult rather than on Jehovah God. Will we be rescued from that like at Passover? Back to Paul 1.7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Verse 8 now, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Imagine that he is writing this to us. Writing this to us here in this church and we are reading about Paul writing this to us and he says... And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve 
what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. And Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Being dissatisfied with merely being a human among humankind will entail these points that Paul just covered. Greater love for others, growing in knowledge and understanding of Jehovah God, greater discernment about how and where to serve and love others, understanding excellence from God's point of view, trying to be pure and blameless in our witness, not fake or outwardly noticed, but pure in the sight of Jesus, not of the world or a church or other Christians, filled with the fruits of righteousness that is attached to that vine, which is Jesus, and all of that for God's glory and his praise and his honor and not my own. God is still working in us according to the words of Paul. Will we choose to honor Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain? Paul believed it and meant it and wrote it. Do we believe it and will we live it? Blood on the doorpost, everyone can see moving forward with God. Would you join me in prayer, please? Father God, these are challenging times and sometimes I'm just really afraid. I'm afraid of what people will think about me, what they'll say, what they'll do to me. You know I've got six kids. I'm worried about what will happen to those six kids if I say something, do something. I'm worried of what will happen to them if they say something, do something, or their mom says something or does something. What if they take us away and they split them up into six different homes? What if they take my job away and our house away? And what if they, they let us live together but it's in a prison camp? So many things we can be afraid of that would challenge us to lose sight of what you have for us. Lord, I want to live as if your word is true and that I actually believe that. And that's not easy. I can't do it apart from your Holy Spirit. That's seemingly why you gave it to me. Lord, this church wants to serve you and live for you and honor you and give you all the glory and the shame. And if it be persecuted in the community, so be it. If it be learned from in, in the teachings in this community, then so be it. Would you give us all the courage and the strength to walk in whatever you have called us to as you are perfecting us and our witness for your glory and for your great name. And if it means my death, then praise 
to you, Jesus, may it be spoken of that it was your word and your truths that led to that circumstance. Holy Spirit, we need you. It's getting harder and harder and harder, and we are watching professing believers or those that would say they're believers fall by the wayside because of the fear of what might happen. And I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to this church. So if it be your will, Father God, undergird us with the strength and courage that we need to walk in a different way than what the world wants us to do and to be dissatisfied with just living a life and to be satisfied with you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.